John chapter 14. I'll read the first six verses of this chapter, but we'll be dealing, we'll be dealing specifically with verse 6 of our text. John chapter 14, verse 1 reads, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. As we said, our, our theme for this year is Christ is the answer. I chose this passage of Scripture because it so clearly indicates Jesus Christ is the one whom we need to know if we have any hope whatsoever of going to heaven. Now, John's gospel is different from the synoptic gospels in a number of ways. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Number one, John writes primarily about Jesus' Judean ministry, whereas the other gospels speak largely of his Galilean ministry. John records many of Jesus' private conversations, whereas the other gospels speak mostly about his public ministry. Well, one of the unique qualities of the Gospel of John is what is known as the seven I am's of Christ. This is a series of statements made by our Lord, usually in response to his purpose being challenged or questioned. In each case, he declares his point simply and emphatically. This text includes one of those seven sayings of Christ. Just quickly, I'll mention those seven I am's. I am the bread of life in John chapter 6 verse 35 demonstrates he came to satisfy. I am the light of the world in John chapter 8 verses 12 and 9 verse 5 he came to illuminate. John chapter 10 verses 7 and 9 Jesus said I am the door which means he came to admit or grant entrance into heaven. Chapter 10 verses 11 and 14 he said I am the good shepherd which indicates he came to comfort those who follow him. Chapter 11, verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He came to raise all his saints from the grave. Here in this text, I am the way, the truth, and the life indicates he came to direct. And John chapter 15, verses 1 and 5, Jesus declared, I am the true vine, wherein we see he came to nourish his saints. We'll consider the sixth of these statements wherein Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'd like to take just a couple of moments to give you some introductory thoughts as to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry, and he spoke repeatedly of his impending death. It caused great concern among his disciples, and in their confusion, they began to ask him questions and make requests. Four of those inquiries take place in the immediate context of this passage of Scripture. In chapter 13, verse 36, Peter asked, Lord, whither goest thou? 
In chapter 14, verse 45, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Later in this chapter, verse 8, Philip asked, Lord, show us the Father. And then in, in chapter 14, verse 22, Jude demanded, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? These four requests from four different men all arise out of the same interest. In each case, Jesus answered them in a way by directing the thoughts of his disciples toward himself. To Peter, he said, although you cannot understand where Jesus is going now, one day he would follow him there. To Thomas, he indicated, I am the way. Philip, he told, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And to Jude's request that Jesus would show himself to his own disciples, he replies by teaching about the future indwelling of the Holy Spirit within every believer. In each case, Jesus is the answer to the problem that was posed. Is the problem alienation from God? He is the way. Is the problem a need for illumination? He's the truth. Is the problem death? He is the life. There are many offensive things about Christianity. For some, the chief offense of Christianity is its founder, Jesus Christ. It is Christ and his extraordinary claims that offends so many. Someone said this is possibly the most offensive and exclusive of all of Christ's sayings when he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Although these words are exclusive, they ought not to be offensive, for they're actually what we most need as human beings. They should be received with joy and thanksgiving. Before sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve enjoyed a threefold privilege with God, but that privilege was revoked when they were driven from the Garden of Eden. They disobeyed the Lord. And we find the glory of Christ's claim is being a divine answer to the problem of Adam and Eve and every person born into this world as a child of Adam. Instead of alienation, there is now a way to God. Instead of ignorance and error, there is truth. And instead of death, there is life. Jesus answered in this one statement three of the greatest questions asked by mankind. Those questions are, how can I be saved? How can I be sure? And how can I be satisfied? We'll address those three thoughts this morning in declaring Christ is the answer. Notice with me, if you would, our text. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. This is where he addresses the question, how can one be saved? Jesus does not merely show the way. He declares that he himself is the way. You see, it's true that he teaches us about the way in which we should go. Mark chapter 12, verse 14 tells us he teaches the way of God in truth. It is true that he guides us in the way we should go. Luke chapter 1, verse 79 declares he guides our feet in the way of peace. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, uh, demonstrates he consecrated a new and living way in which we should go. But all this is possible only because he himself is the way. The word way, it means a path, a road, or a journey from one place to another. So Jesus is saying, if you want to get from 
earth to heaven, if you want to get from death to life, if you want to get from where you are to where God is, follow this path. And he says the key to understand that is I am that path. I am that road. I am that way in which you need to travel. Jesus is telling us that he is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. If you want to go to God's heaven, you have to go God's way. Because Jesus Christ is the way to heaven, we find he provides several blessings to those who trust in him along the way. Just to mention a couple, his way is sincere. Many are quick to tell us the directions we ought to take in life. Whether it's literally traveling from one place to another and they're giving us the best route to follow along a highway. Or if they're telling us how to conduct our lives in a particular area or matter. People are quick to give their opinion. They want us to know their view. They want us to know what their idea is. They want us to know what they think. Well, we see Jesus is sincere in this because not only does he tell us which way to go, he shows us. He says, follow me. And that is a message that Paul emphasized in his ministry. Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. If we want to be saved, if we want to have eternal life, if we want to have our sins forgiven, however you phrase it, Jesus Christ is the answer to that need. For he declared, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What a blessing to know that Jesus isn't in the turning away business. No, he's in the receiving business. If someone truly comes to Christ, repenting of his or her sin, he's not going to hold up his hands and say, not you, hold on, slow down there. You're too wicked. You're too vile. You, you're, you're out there way too far. He said, come unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are many empty promises that we hear in this life from someone who's insincere, who's someone who is uncaring, but never has one cared like Jesus. He died for our sins and longs to see all come unto him. You know, the scripture tells us God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. This idea that he's already predetermined to exclude certain masses from his heavenly family is foolishness, folly, and false doctrine. Jesus welcomes all who come unto him, for the Spirit and the bride say, Come. What a blessing to know. His way is sincere. Not one of empty promises. Not one void of the ability to accomplish what he said he would. No, no. He will accomplish that which he has promised. But also, his way is simple. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 declares, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. His way is simple because he lays it out this way. Trust me and be saved. You don't trust me, you cannot be saved. It's a matter of a simple choice. Accept him or reject him. 
follow him or deny him, receive him or refuse him. How much easier can that be to understand? Yet we as mankind, we have a tendency to muddle up and to confuse and to make his plan of salvation more difficult than it needs to be. For we find religious groups and organizations adding on all kinds of caveats to God's plan of salvation. And they say, well, trust Jesus and this. Trust Jesus and that. You have to be a member of a church. You have to be baptized. You have to be christened. You have to give. You have to attend regularly. You have to live a good life. You have to be kind to others. You have to obey the golden rule. You have to obey the Ten Commandments. Listen, the Bible tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If one wants to be saved, it's a matter of accepting the simple plan of salvation that God has laid out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wondrous message we have to give to others today. And we shouldn't be guilty of cluttering it up. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 declares, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's bad news for all the cults and isms that are out there who think their leader, their founder, their figurehead is the one we have to follow and obey. No, Jesus Christ said, I am the way. You can illustrate it this way. One of the largest caverns in the United States are the Luray Caverns in Luray, Virginia. And anybody ever been to the Luray Caverns? Pretty interesting place, aren't they? For more than 125 years, they've been a favorite of travelers wanting to see one of the natural wonders of our land. To see the beauty of these caverns, you descend hundreds of feet below ground and follow a guide through winding pathways. Along the way, sightseers are constantly reminded by their guide to heed their warnings, stay with the group, don't leave the path. All because it's a dangerous place to get lost in. Because believe it or not, it's really, really dark down there. And what the guide will do is somewhere along the way, they'll stop and they'll have the group gather together and they'll start talking about the stalactites and the stalagmites and, and all the different uh, things that you can see in the water cascading down the rocks and things like that. And then all of a sudden he'll say, I want everybody to stay together. Don't move. He said, I'm going to turn the lights off. So they turn the lights off so you get an idea what it's like to be in absolute darkness. And when they do that, <laughs> it's dark. I mean, I'm standing there and I'm just waving my, my hand in front of my face like this. And you can't see a thing. And I mean, some people start to get worried. Some people get anxious. Uh, they said, they, you can hear them saying, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. I, can't, I don't like this, turn the lights on. Well, being in complete darkness, you don't know which way to go. The Bible tells us the God of this world has blinded the minds and hearts of everyone. People are born into this world in sin and are spiritually blind. And as a result, don't know which way to turn. Isn't it good news that they hear a voice in the distance saying, I am the way. Follow me. Come this way. Come unto me and be ye saved. Jesus Christ is that way. If someone wants to get to heaven, they have to turn to him. 
who is the door to heaven, who is the Lamb of God, who is the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. But not only do we see he is the way, and by such answers the question, how can I be saved? We see also in this verse, Jesus said, not only I am the way, but I am the truth. Here he addresses the question, how can I know? Have you ever talked to somebody about being saved and said to them, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? And gotten a response such as, well, nobody can know that. Well, of course I don't know that. Nobody can. You know, biblically, that's incorrect. The scripture makes it quite clear. We can be positive. We can be sure we are on our way to heaven. You see, Jesus was quite dogmatic when he made this statement, I am the truth, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I believe that's one reason why people dislike the Bible and dislike Christianity, because they find his claims offensive. They believe God's word should be rewritten to conform to today's changing times. You see, their problem is Jesus Christ, or God, allows no tolerance for varying opinions and views. He makes no room for contradiction. He gives no margin for compromise. Someone has stated every religious dogma, every philosophical concept, every scientific theory, every political, economic, social, or psychological proposition that does not ultimately find its center, sum, and substance in him is bound in the end to prove itself wrong. You know, that statement just angers a lot of people. They're not willing to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the answer to every question in life, and specifically to this one. Can we know for sure what truth is? He said, I am the truth. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This made a dead-end street of all isms. He says the only way to God is through him. And this is the epitome of being narrow-minded. By the way, has anybody ever called you narrow-minded? Saying, you Baptist, you're so narrow-minded. You're not willing to enter into dialogue and consider other ideologies, other philosophies, other opinions and views about this matter of salvation. After all, there's one God, but many ways to get to God. No, Jesus said, I am the way. And then he backed it up by saying, I am the truth. So therefore, my statement about being the only way is correct, (laughs) meaning Every other position, view, and ideology is what? It's incorrect. It's wrong. You say, you people are so narrow-minded, so dogmatic. You can't be right. Do you realize that maybe this wasn't the case with you, it was with me. One of my elementary teachers was the most dogmatic person I ever met. Every time she wanted to talk about arithmetic, she said, two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter if I thought it was three, five, or nine. Two plus two equals four. Doesn't make any difference what you have two of. It can be two ducks, two cows, two apples, two pears. It can be two people. It can be two anything. But two plus two equals four. What's amazing is that that concept hasn't become outdated. Even though 
our educational system in America tried to introduce a new math that tried to alter some of the basic principles of arithmetic and multiplication, the fact remains, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And isn't it amazing that your bank operates on that same principle? The grocery store operates on that principle. If you find a special and you say, you get two of these and two of these for $4, you go up to the cash register and you've got 10 of them. And say, well, I got two kinds and two kinds, so after all, that's four. No, it's two items and two items. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter who you deal with around town. The paint store, the clothing store, the shoe store, the gas station, the bank, whomever, they're going to be very dogmatic when it comes to your paying the bills and your following sound matters of arithmetic. You see, there's a truth set forth in our society that we follow. It's a mathematical truth that cannot be altered or changed. By the way, truth is always exclusive. It's always dogmatic, and it is always intolerant of non-truth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be truth. makes no difference whether truth is mathematical, scientific, economic, or as in this case, spiritual. Truth is truth. Doesn't matter how many college professors and university speakers tell us there's no such thing as absolute truth. Everything is subjective. All matters are fluid. All ideas are subject to their circumstances. Doesn't matter whether or not they want to put forth situation ethics and say what's right in this situation might not be wrong in that situation and vice versa. No, Jesus declares truth is truth. Psalm 119 verse 160, Thy word is true from beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Truth is unchanging. John 8, 32, Jesus said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is that truth? John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Aren't you glad to know that we have before us today the word of God, and it is true, reliable, dependable, and will not change, for it is forever settled in heaven. Thank God we have the truth before us. Then in our text, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus went on to say, not only I am the way, he didn't just say I'm the truth, but he said, I am the life. He answered the question, how can I be saved? How can I be sure? Now, how can I be satisfied? Well, his life is the opposite of death. It is the resurrection life. It is eternal life. His life is life forever. Life is one of the words that especially captivated John. He used it in one form or another 56 times in this gospel. The first was used by the Lord when speaking of the two gates, which I already referred to, and the two destinies, you know, the straight gate, the narrow gate. You know, a lot of folks are heading to that wide way. You ever notice when you're traveling on the highway, you can see a three-lane highway, and you got two lanes moving slowly and one lane's moving fast. Which lanes everybody else want to be in? They want to be in that fast lane. They want to go ahead and move. Well, the crowd today, the world today, they're heading to that big entrance. They're heading to that wide gate. Jesus said they need to choose the narrow one. 
they need to choose that one that not many people are looking toward. Jesus in John eleven twenty five said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We can be satisfied eternally with nothing less than everlasting life. As wonderful as heaven is, think about how tragic it would be if the Lord said, well, I'm going to let you live in heaven, but it's not going to be eternal. I'll let you live there a thousand years, a million years, or whatever number. But he said, when it comes to that last day, you have to move out. That would be very discouraging, wouldn't it? Aren't you glad God doesn't do anything halfway? He gives us eternal everlasting life. And he does so because when we receive him, we receive that life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So if we have Jesus Christ, we have that eternal life. He is the light of life. According to John 8, 12, then spake Jesus unto them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He gives us the words of life, according to John chapter 6, verse 68. And in him, we have life and abundance. John 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Not halfway, not partway, not most of, not the greater percentage of. No, that we might have life abundantly abundantly eternal life for all to come to him does it really mean everlasting life yes it does the lord jesus christ is the way the truth and the life without the way there is no going without the truth there is no knowing and without the life there is no living we can be satisfied knowing that our eternity is secure in him. Christ came that we might have life. Will you trust him? Jesus does not require us to do anything to earn or to prove we deserve to be saved. All he asks is that we simply acknowledge we're a sinner in need of a savior. Oh, it doesn't matter if you've been in this church or another church For many, many years, one needs to trust Christ, not their church membership, not their reputation in the community, not their good standing among church members. We need to trust Christ, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. I close with this thought in regard to him being the answer to our every need. He who is the bread of life began his ministry hungering. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. Jesus hungered as a man, yet fed the hungry as God. He was weary, yet he is our rest. He paid tribute, yet he is the king. He was called a devil, but he cast out demons. He prayed, and yet he hears our prayers. He wept, and he dries our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed sinners with his precious blood. 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is our good shepherd. He gave his life, and by dying, he destroyed death for all who believed. Jesus Christ is the answer to our every need.